Good morning, church. My name is Kim Jenny. I am the director of Connectional Ministries for the Missouri Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. You've already heard from Reverend Pyron that we're a big church. We're a global church. And so what I get to do for the church is serve the church in Missouri. So I'm based in Columbia. And a shorthand version of how I describe my job for people when I travel around the state is I run the matchmaking service for the, the conference here in our state. That means I connect local churches to one another. If there's a local church out there that's struggling with youth ministry, I connect them with a church that is doing well in youth ministry. I make a match so that we can live into that body of Christ and where the hands can help the feet, we try to do that from a conference perspective. Salem Church is a teaching church. It often sends out its pastors and its lay leaders to other churches, including our smaller rural churches in our state, to help them in their areas of ministry. So on behalf of our bishop and on behalf of our conference, I want to say thank you to Salem Church for being generous with the gifts that you have um, here and sending it out into the further body of Christ across our state. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we give you thanks that your word, the word that would make the ears of Israel tingle, became flesh and blood to live among us as Jesus. Open up our hearts and our minds that we might be pierced with the power and the glory of your word, your son, and our brother, Jesus. Amen. I understand that this month you all have been going old school. You've been spending some time in the Hebrew Bible, what our brothers and sisters in the Jewish tradition call the Tanakh, made up of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings like the Psalms and Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. In this past month, you've walked through some of the greatest hits of the Old Testament. David and Goliath, I know Pastor Katrina down at the South City campus has preached about Moses. You've also dealt and wrestled with some of the heavy hitters of the Old Testament, the, the law and covenant, and you spent two whole weeks on the foundational treatise on monotheism, the Shema found in Deuteronomy. It sounds like you have been in some serious summer school. Last week, I listened to a sermon online from uh, your uh, director of youth, Sean, on a little-known love story found in an even lesser-known book of Hosea. My hope is that today's story might also be new to you or overlooked by you, which has been the case for literally millions of readers of Holy Scripture who, attempting to read through the Old Testament, get stuck in the more tedious passages in Leviticus and Numbers. And by the time you get to the second book of Kings, you are just skimming, right? If you skim Second Kings, you are likely to miss this little gem of a story in the 22nd chapter that we're going to hear about today. So to conclude 
our series, I thought I would pick this story, which I, I find kind of exciting. To me, it's like a little adventure novella that's tucked into some pretty serious historical books in the Bible. I imagine it that it could, this is one of those stories that could be turned into like a summer blockbuster, one of those adventure films. Are you familiar with the National Treasure series? I see this story being like National Treasure, I think we're on the fifth maybe, National Treasure 5, the book of Devarim, which is the Jewish word for Deuteronomy, starring Nicolas Cage as King Josiah, and probably featuring Queen Latifah as the prophet Huldah. Right? I, can, I can totally imagine this being a, a great movie about the origins of our sacred book, the Bible. Or maybe it will just be your next summer beach read. So let's turn to 2 Kings 22. This same story is actually found in 2 Chronicles as well. Sometimes Chronicles and Kings repeat the same stories. So we're going to be in 2 Kings 22, verses 11 through 20. But to bring you up to speed, since we're going to dump, jump right into some heavy material, let me, let me tell you a little bit about where we are. King Josiah is the latest king in a long line of kings, thus the name of the books of the Bible, kings, right? They're all about kings. And they were, he was in the process of some palace renovations, right? As you do. And in the process of tearing out some walls, Hilkiah, the high priest, discovered tucked back in the wall behind some drywall and some electrical wires or something like that, right? He finds back there behind a wall the book of law. Now, has anybody discovered um, anything that was hidden before? Have you ever had an experience of finding something that was hidden? Yeah? When I was, when I was five years old, my brother and I were playing with a trinket that my granny had given us, an old electric shaver box. And my brother, I think, was in the process of converting it to be a burial tomb for some um, soldiers, I think, some toy soldiers. And in the process of preparing this burial tomb for his G.I. Joe soldiers, he um, tore the velvety lining of this electrical shaver box back, right? Have you ever seen a box that has that kind of lining? And as he tore back this lining, he found tucked inside this lining four crisp, $100 bills. Now, his face was priceless, right, in this discovery. We were five years old. It was more money we'd ever seen in our lives. But my mother's face, when he paraded it in front of her while she was on the telephone, was amazing. And it's the, the kind of reaction that I imagine Hilkiah had when he found this ancient scroll sealed up inside one of the temple walls. He shares this scroll with Shaphan, the secretary, and they read it together. And then the secretary goes to the king, Josiah, and they read the scripture together. And so I'm going to pick up in verse 11, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, which means he was really upset right? He tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, 
And Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked, we might say they consulted with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands, therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Before we dive into this story a little bit, I just want to back up a little bit briefly. The world in which the Bible was created was not this mythical realm of cities and saintly heroes, but it was in fact just this tiny down-to-earth, kind of rough-and-tumble kingdom where people struggled every single day against the all-too-human fears of poverty and war and injustice and disease and famine and drought. I think sometimes as 21st century Christians, since all we've ever known is this nice, neat little book, that we think it's always been this way. When in fact, there was a time when it was nothing more than a, an ancient scroll rolled up, a dusty old scroll rolled up, or a few well-read letters tucked away for safekeeping. The story that we're, we just read that's found in our historical books is about how the story, how the Bible came to be in time. During the reign of King Josiah back in 622 BCE, that was 600 years before Jesus even walked the earth. While he was in the middle of a temple remodeling project, a scroll was found and it was discovered to be the book of the covenant, the book of the law of God. And the impact of that textual discovery, that archaeological find, was enormous. 
You see, it turns out that the people of Judah were doing it all wrong. Apparently, the religious practices of the day had become so corrupt that they had forgotten the ways that had been taught to them by Moses. And after the chief of staff showed this scroll to the king, Josiah becomes so dismayed at the state of things because now he has definitive proof of how far short they have fallen from divine acceptance in their worship practices. Now, Josiah must have been a good Methodist at heart because in response to this discovery, what does he do? He appoints a commission on a way forward, right, to figure out what to do about their next steps, right? Good Methodist behavior, right? And we know that this matters to the king because it's a large, a large size of a committee, right? You saw me stumble through all of those names, right? These were important people in the king's court that he named to this commission. It, it was important to him. But without hesitation, he assembles this commission and he sends this all-male committee to a woman prophet named Huldah. One scholarly theory as to why King Josiah chose Huldah to authenticate and interpret this mysterious scroll was because maybe perhaps he was looking for a, a more compassionate voice or a more nurturing presence. Because after all, Jeremiah, we know Jeremiah, right? There's a whole book named after Jeremiah. Jeremiah was actually the go-to rock star prophet of the time. He was active during King Josiah's reign. But King Josiah didn't choose Jeremiah. He chose Huldah. And Huldah was not the coddling type. She was likely to tell it to you straight. She wasn't going to bend for peer pressure or political alliance. Maybe Jeremiah was busy. Maybe he was away crying in, the, in, the, in a corner. We, we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, so he's always crying. Or maybe Josiah wanted some fresh eyes on this critical matter. We don't, we don't know. The text offers no commentary whatsoever on the fact that she was a woman. Apparently, prophecy was an equal opportunity employer in BCE days. We can only speculate. The truth is we don't know why he chose her other than it was her perspective that he wanted. So Hulda it is. And she is respected by all male authority in this story. Temporal authority, national authority. She doesn't have to qualify her words. She doesn't have to justify them because she's a woman. Or fight for her right to be a prophetess. She doesn't even have to explain herself. After she's finished prophesying, uh, one of the men of the committee doesn't say, well, actually what you meant to say was this, right? Hulda simply fulfills her office with four important words. The phrase that's used exclusively for prophets, the mouthpieces of God. She says, thus says the Lord. And with that, she examines the scrolls, she scrutinizes the text as to their validity and their flaws. And when she spoke, she confirmed what Josiah and Hilkiah had suspected, that it was legit. According to William Phipps, professor of religion and philosophy, Hulda is the very first person, the first person to declare certain writings as holy scripture. 
first person. Thus, she is sometimes referred to as the mother of Scripture. Hulda, the mother of Scripture. But after proclaiming its authenticity, she gets down to her real job, her work of prophesying. She tells them because preceding generations had disobeyed God that the Lord was going to bring upon them disaster and ruin. She's starting to sound like a real prophet now, right? According to our story, the righteousness of Josiah leads him into immediate action. This newly discovered scroll was going to mean reform, big reform. He was going to make some changes. So the shrines to cults and altars to other gods get torn down. The, the vessels that had been built up for the Egyptian god Asherah were burnt in the fields. The sacrificial rituals that countryside priests were conducting are ended. And Josiah institutes several national religious celebrations as, as foretold in the book of law. He commands the people to begin keeping Passover as it was written in this unearthed book. Now, Holda's prophecy falls into two parts. Maybe you heard the two. The first part points out the, the grim conclusion of the book of Kings, that it's too late for the country of Judah. They've, far, they've fallen too far beyond what, what God's vision was for them, and that they were going to fall. And the second half of her prophecy points to Josiah's personal exemption from the, the, the disaster that, was, that loomed ahead. She says to him that, that you're going to get gathered up into your ancestors. You're not going to have to see this fault. Now, I don't find that too reassuring, that you, you get to die before you see this happen, right? But that's considered a blessing for Josiah. And... It comes true. Just 29 verses later, Josiah falls to the pharaoh, Necho, and then his son ascends to the throne and becomes one more in a line of successive kings that our text says did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestors had done. So the book of Kings, if you're reading it, here's the, here's the Twitter version. Bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king. The discovered scroll is never lost again, though. We go on with our typical human ways of having bad kings that did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But the thing that wasn't lost was the book of Deuteronomy, the one that was found tucked in this wall. It's not forgotten because we actually have it today. It makes up part of the Old Testament. And thanks to a prophetess whose name is often forgotten except in the heart of God and in the occasional sermon and Bible study. Because of her, we know the Shema. And we have written tradition on our covenant with God. This little story about how the story came to be was a turning point in our relationship with God. It was a time of transition moving from the oral tradition to the written tradition. And because of this critical moment, at the end of his life, Josiah is valorized in a remarkable way. Listen to what our text says about Josiah. There's never been a king like Josiah, whether before him or after him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, all his being, and all his strength, in agreement with everything in the instruction of Moses. 
Does that sound familiar? Especially for those of you that had a chance to hear Adam's sermons on the Shema. That is the very incarnation of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And this is high praise indeed, made still more impressive by the fact that Josiah is the only king and the only person, the only person in the Bible of which this claim is made. As far as, as kings are concerned, Josiah is the goat. He is the greatest of all time, right? He's the goat of the Old Testament. Of course, while history is not always written by the victors, at least for several millennia, it has been written by men. Can I get an amen? amen. And I'm deeply grateful that Holda's appearance in this story remains despite the editorial process of canonization, which often does a lot of whitewashing and stripping marginalized people and voices out of our holy scriptures. There's a part of me that thinks that while Josiah is the one who gets recorded as the best king ever, as the proverb goes, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. <laughs> we women are used to this kind of diminishment and undermining. It happens throughout scripture. By reading closely, however, you can undercover, you can uncover these subversive characters that are sprinkled throughout our scripture. Characters who are overlooked and underwritten, stripped of name and rank, often described only by their male family members and nothing about themselves. But now I have to remind you that you now know about Hulda. You know now that she is the mother of scripture. One of seven named prophetesses in the Old Testament, including Sarah and Miriam and Deborah and Hannah and Abigail and Esther. It matters that Huldah is identified in this historical text. It matters because it emphasizes that she was a real person in real time that changed the course of history. And for us, for religious tradition. She set the written Bible in motion. While the king recognizes the book's authority, it takes a prophet's words to set it into action. And that brings us here today. This book, whether you're reading it online or on your phone or in written form, it is nothing. It is nothing without today's prophets setting it into motion. Without everyday disciples like you and me who take it out of the printed form and put on flesh and blood and take it out into the world and make it real for others. But this story is also about something that's absolutely relevant to our own personal faith journeys. There are moments in everyone's life where we have to stop and we have to reassess our faith walk our practices and our beliefs, and ask the question, is what we're doing, does it align with what God might have for us, might want for us? King Josiah realized that their understanding of God and that their practices of worshiping God did not align with God's understanding of humanity and worship practice. With the help of Huldah, he realized that they needed to readjust their framework and their relationship with God. And that in order to be righteous, to be 
in right relationship with Yahweh, some changes were going to have to happen. You know, we can look at the stories of the Old Testament and the stories that you have shared this past month in your old school sermon series, and we can, we can treat them like ancient fairy tales that have no consequences on what we are or who we are as a people of God. Or we can heed the words of Huldah's prophecy. We can begin to realign our life with the ways in which God invites us to live. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, the ways in which Jesus lived here on earth. And now that you know otherwise, you can imitate Josiah's response. Will you tear your clothes like him as you read through scripture? And hear how God's plan for us, how God's hope for us is so vastly different from the way in which the world responds? Will you have a penitent heart? Will you humble yourself before God so that you might repent and change your ways and God might see that changed heart in you? Where are you in need of a little adjustment, a little tweaking, a little alignment in your practice? Is God inviting you to go deeper in an area of your faith? Are your embedded beliefs about God being challenged and beginning to rub you the wrong way? That's an invitation from God to get a new alignment. God's always inviting us to destroy the little boxes that we have a tendency to place God in. And to expand our vision of who God is and what God's intention is for humanity. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, the God of us, is a God of grace and hope and love. A God that transcends all history and all humanity. A God who wants more than anything than to be in relationship with us. And we know that now, thanks to Huldah, thanks to King Josiah, and thanks to the book of Devarim or Deuteronomy. The book of law. Thanks be to God. Amen.